All right, if you have a Bible handy, uh, whether it's your, your app or your hard copy of the Bible like I always keep up here, Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be our main text today. It will not be on the screen for your convenience, so you have to actually turn there. It'll be a lengthy reading, and we'll get there in just a few minutes, but I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn over there. And as a way of reminder, over the last few weeks, we've been re-examining hopefully in a fresh way, our seven commitments as a church. These seven commitments were first presented to Pine Tree five years ago. So it felt like a good mark to come back to it. And what we've done is we've abbreviated these commitments, and today we just happen to be on commitment number four, which abbreviated, shortened, for the sake of clarity is this, we will nurture marriages and young families. Earlier this week when I was preparing for the sermon, I had one of those big-picture, eye-opening moments or just thought-provoking moments about myself as a husband and as a dad. So it happened Monday night or Tuesday morning, depending on how you look at it. It was about 2 a.m. I was having one of those nights where I'd gone to sleep and then woke up and then couldn't go back to sleep. I don't know if this happens to you very often, but I've kind of come up with a routine to help myself go back to sleep. I'll go into the hallway bathroom. I turn on the space heater, I turn on the shower, the hottest water possible, and I make it like a sauna in the bathroom, and it will eventually lull me back to sleep. I know that is weird to share with you, but I just want you to know why I was in the bathroom at 2 a.m. to tell you the rest of the story. So while I was in there, I heard a door open, I heard a lot of movement, and I realized that that was my son. So from within the bathroom at 2 a.m., I said, Christian, Christian! Christian! I was like hollering his name, and then it got really quiet. I thought, well, maybe he went back to sleep. All right, worked out. Then a few seconds later, I hear him, I hear him scurrying around again, so I said, Christian! Christian! And I'm yelling his name. Finally, he opens the door, and he said, oh, that's where that voice was coming from. And he said, I could hear my name being called, but I didn't know where it was coming from. And then he said, Dad... I thought it was the voice of Jesus. Now, he's a five-year-old. It's a dark house. It's the middle of the night. So that's where his mind goes. But when he said that, I'm trying to get him back to sleep. I'm trying to get myself back to sleep. But that light bulb goes off. And maybe it's because I was preparing for this sermon. I don't know. But I was thinking about how, isn't that what we're trying to do as parents? Like, big picture? that we want to help them, cultivate within them to have the ears to hear the voice of Christ through His Word and throughout their lives. And then on the other side, as families, do we have the ears to hear the voice of Christ calling us, maybe calling us deeper with Him or calling us back to Him even in our pain, even in our brokenness, and even in our dysfunction Do we have the ears to hear Christ? As we look at this commitment, we will nurture marriages and young families. Let's start with Jesus. Jesus is always a good place to start. And so, in my opinion, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll just kind of give you the shorter version. I believe Jesus was a supporter of families. Jesus was a lover of families. You see that throughout the New Testament, but especially in his life and his teachings, his parables, his images, the illustrations that Jesus uses. 
You can start with his relationship with God. He referred to God as Father, family language. Last week when we looked at this pursuing unity, focused on Jesus, third commitment, we talked about the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. So that has a unifying effect to it, but it also is a reminder that Jesus referred to God as Father, family language. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost son, which is about a father's unconditional love for his son, his wayward son, his disrespectful son, but this father that waits for his son every day to return, and when he sees him, he runs and greets him. That's family language. Jesus in John chapter 2 attends a wedding And this celebration, this wedding feast that's going on, they run out of wine, so Jesus turns water into wine to keep the celebration going. And in my opinion, that's Jesus affirming not only marriage, but these weddings and how important that is. It's a milestone in your life. In Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is questioned about divorce, I believe Jesus holds a high view of marriage and he talks about the sacredness of marriage. Jesus welcomed children, and in the first century, that was not the norm. Most people viewed children as a nuisance, and and they were not adored as they are today in our culture, but at that day and time, Jesus welcomed children. Instead of sending them away, he said, let the children come to me. And then even on the cross, when Jesus was dying in John chapter 19, he made sure that his mom would be taken care of. All right, that's just kind of a quick summary there, but I believe Jesus affirmed families. Jesus was a family man in a different kind of way, but Jesus really reinforces the idea and the importance of family. And as families, with our marriage and our families, our purpose has a bigger purpose than for us to just be happy. We don't idolize, we don't worship families. The purpose of our marriage and our families is to point beyond ourselves so that in our lives, and our examples, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our friends, or if you go to school with fellow students, our purpose is to point beyond ourselves and to let people see in us, in our families, this transformation power that Jesus has. That's our purpose. Now, you may be sitting here today thinking, well, Okay, commitment number four sounds great, but what if you're not married? Or what if you don't belong in the category of young families? Well, if you're single, nothing wrong with that. Remember, Jesus and Paul were both single, and they influenced our idea of marriage more than any other human who's ever been on this earth. So if you're single, I think you can appreciate and understand the value of why we need to focus on marriages and pour into marriages And if you're single, you also have the opportunity to influence marriages in a positive way. So you have a role to play. And if you think, well, I'm not in the category of young families, you are in the category of family. Because all of us belong to a family one way or another. Our definition of family may vary. What family is to you at this point in your life or what family it was to you growing up Well, it may look a little different from family to family, but we're all a part of a family, and we're all a part of these different family life cycles. You may just be young, single, college student. You may be a young married. You may be a young family with little kids. You may have kids that are growing up, teenagers, empty nesters. You may be at a spot in your life where 
where your kids are grown and gone, and now you're caring for your aging parents. We go through these different life cycles, and I'll say this. We want to focus on young families. However, we will minister to your family whatever stage of life that you're in. We're not limited to just young families, but we want to pay special attention because it's such a crucial time in life, and they are the future of the church as they raise their children. If you're an older couple, and you've been through it all, and you've raised kids, we're relying on you to turn around and look at the generations that are following you and try to influence those marriages and those families because you've been through it. You know what it's like. Many years ago, I took a class, a family ministry class, uh, and in this class, our professor, you know, every Monday he would... uh, post a recording of his lecture, and I would take notes diligently. I'm a note taker, as I see most of you are not because you're either looking at me or you seem zoned out. I'd be the type of person that's sitting there taking notes. I'm a note taker. If I don't take notes, I don't really remember what was said. So I would take notes, everything this professor would say, and I remember one class he talked about families just kind of in a broad stroke, a broad sense, and he said a couple of things about family ministry that I feel like today, as we talk about Commitment 4, would be worth sharing with you. And I'm going to take what he said, share it with you, and then elaborate it on it for a minute, and then I'll share with you a third thing. So the first thing that he said about families is about God's work within the family. And as ministers, he told us, no matter how broken or bad a family may seem, God is still at work within them. So we, as a church, want to help you see that, that God is still at work in your family, even if you feel dysfunctional or broken or whatever it may be, experiencing pain, maybe people that aren't talking with each other. There's so many different scenarios that your family goes through, but just remember, God still cares about you, and God is still working in your family. So Jesus, you look the the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew. His genealogy had some rough spots in the family tree. Usually around Christmas time is when we talk about that. There's some names in the family tree that remind us that Jesus' family wasn't perfect. When Jesus was on this earth, he, he had siblings that doubted him, that didn't believe in him, and they even chastised him. Jesus didn't have a perfect family because there is no such thing as a perfect family. All, disfam- all families are dysfunctional in a way. We probably just need to go ahead and accept that. Uh, you may look to other families and think, well, they have it right and we don't, but no families are perfect. If you don't believe me, go back and read the book of Genesis and just look at the family life that you see there, and that's kind of where we have our start in human history. No families are perfect, but God is still at work within them. There's a guy named Tim Chester that wrote this book called A Mill with Jesus. And in this book, he shares a story about a guy named Jim Peterson and his friend Mario. Mario was from South America. Mario moved to the United States, but Mario was not a Christian. So Jim Peterson and Mario become friends. But Jim, the Christian man, wanted Mario to experience who Jesus is. So for a four-year period, they would engage in Bible study. And after four years, finally Mario decided that he believed in Jesus and he wanted to become a follower of Christ. A big moment. He's converted to Christ. Well, two years later, after his conversion, 
Jim and Mario were meeting together, and Mario said to Jim, you remember when I made the decision that I wanted to follow Christ? So Jim started thinking back to all their Bible studies, and he was thinking, which one would it have been that really convinced him? And he said, it was none of the Bible studies. He said, it was the first time that your family had me over for dinner. And as I sat at the table with you and your wife and your kids, he said, I thought to myself, me and my fiancé and my future family will never have this because we don't have Christ. He said, that meal, being with your family is what convinced me that day that, that I think I do believe in Jesus because I can see the transformation in somebody else's family. The interesting thing is, though, Jim's perspective from this meal, as he said, I remember that night. He said, I remember being really embarrassed. I was embarrassed about how my kids were behaving and how we had to keep disciplining them, and I just felt like the whole thing was a mess. So from his perspective, our family is an embarrassment, but from Mario's perspective, no, I see Christ binding your family together. And that's what actually brought him to Christ. So no matter how broken or banged up your family may seem, remember, God is at work within them, calling us to him. Well, the second thing that my professor shared is about our trajectory, about where we're headed. And he said, although we may be broken, although we may be sinful, and although we may not be where we want to be, we can look to Scripture and we can see that there is an ideal of what families should be. We have examples of what families should be, and we want to strive towards that. We want our families to be on a trajectory towards the kind of ideal that we see in Scripture, even though we fall short. That's why I asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and this is kind of a lengthy reading. See on the screen, I'm going to read uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 21, all the way through chapter 6. So if you have a Bible app, you'll have to actually flip to the next chapter when we get there, and we'll read the first four verses of chapter 6. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Several years ago, I was leading a, a wedding ceremony, and I read this passage. And as I read it, I heard an audible gasp from the audience, like a disapproval. You know, to us, it may seem normal, but to other people in the world, like, wives submit to your husbands. What's this all about? And I wanted to say, like, in the middle of the ceremony, don't get on to me. The bride chose this passage to be read in the ceremony. But there's a mutual submission. That's where he starts in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. And, but there's the idea of the husband should be the spiritual leader of the home, and the husband and the wife work together in union with each other. And we'll continue on in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. Paul is kind of doing something strange here where he's intertwining a husband and wife relationship and then Christ and the church. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, 
but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. So when it comes to marriages, you know, this is a pretty detailed idea of what a husband and wife relationship should be. But you continue on in chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, in verse 4, some translations say, And parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So this point is that we, have, we do have some ideas of what family should be. We want to strive towards that. We want the trajectory of our family to aim towards that. I chose this passage out of so many that I could have chosen because Paul kind of covers all of young family, the husband-wife relationship, the relationship between kids and their parents, the relationship between parents and their kids, and it just kind of covers all of it. But the truth is, many of us may read this and think, hmm, I fall short of this. And that's okay. Just being honest. We need to assess where we're at. We fall short of this, but if we believe that God is at work in His Word, then we read a passage like this, instead of just simply feeling bad about ourselves, we should think, you know, This is motivation and inspiration for who we want to become. Maybe we're not there yet, but this is who we want to become. We have an aim. All families are dysfunctional in a way. No family is perfect. Most of us are broken in some way. But we do have ideas that honor God the most, and we want to strive towards that. Those are the two things my professor shared with me, and I felt like I should share it with you today. But I'll add a third thing into that, and that's about our priorities. If you want to live, uh, you know, this Ephesians 5 passage, the subtitle my Bible just says the Christian household. If we want to aim towards that, if we want to become that, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways that we aim in that direction is by our priorities. What we prioritize is what we care about the most. So prioritize, first of all, your marriage. If you're married, you need to prioritize your marriage. Recently, I've been reading this book by Peter Scazzaro. <coughs> the book is called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I put the table of contents, or at least half of them, up there, and I circled chapter 3 because I read chapter 3 about nine days ago, and it says, lead out of your marriage or your singleness. Now, the book is for church leaders or really any, any leader of any kind, whether it's at work or school or whatever, But if you're married, you need to lead out of your marriage, or if you're single, lead out of your singleness. So that's your identity. And really what the chapter reminded me of as a married guy is that my number one relationship, human relationship, should be my spouse. That my number one ambition, my number one passion, and even my loudest gospel message should be my relationship with my spouse. 
And I don't know, I was sitting there on a Friday morning and I felt like I needed to be reminded of that. In the chapter, he talks about ministers and how easy it is to just get caught up and just constantly, constantly meeting with people or meeting needs or coming up with a new sermon or, or focusing on attendance and how many people come to our church and is our church growing or is it shrinking or what the budget's like. And we focus on all those things, but what he was reminding us is, no, your number one passion Your number one priority should be your spouse. And then you lead out of that relationship. It's not just something extra that you do. So prioritize your marriage. Now, at this point, our commitment is we will nurture marriages and young families. So you may be asking, well, how does this church nurture marriages? Well, there's a few answers I could give to that. For many years, we've been involved in a ministry called Married People, and I know it's blessed and helped a lot of families. The pandemic has definitely disrupted that. Uh, We offer kind of informally what I would call elder minister care for marriages. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't really publicize, that you don't always see. But a lot of conversations, a lot of intervention, a lot of prayers for intercession, a lot of elders working with marriages that are struggling. There's premarital counseling that goes on behind the scenes. There's times where marriages are struggling or individuals are struggling, and and we try to work to help connect you with a therapist or a counselor whenever you need that, whenever the referral is necessary. So, and then you know beyond kind of the elder minister care, which we obviously see a need right now. I mean, the statistics have been there for, for years, that about half, mar- half of marriages end in divorce. And so we want to try to help you as you struggle along, and we all struggle. We want to pour into your marriage. Right? We want to help nurture your marriage, and we do that through caring for you, and, and we want to grow in those areas. We have a training that we're going to attend in February to try to increase our capacity to nurture marriages. A lot of what we do as a church, marriage and family is integrated into our ministries, to our Bible classes. Wednesday nights we had these men's and women's classes to help us become better fathers and better wives and and parents and, you know, we try to mutually encourage each other, our connect group ministry. You know, I could go on and on on how we're trying to nurture marriage and families. We have a long ways to go. There's a lot that we're learning, and I think God is stirring something within us, and I think that God is opening our eyes to kind of a consistent trend that we've seen over the last few years. You'd ask the question, how are we nurturing marriages? But I would also flip the question around for anybody that's married married, and ask you, how are you nurturing your own marriage? If we were sitting down for like a premarital counseling, some of the things that we would talk about is you need to make date night a priority. We would talk about how you should continue to pursue your spouse just as much as you did when you were dating. We would talk about how you need to pray together every day. We would talk about how you're going to hit some rough patches, and when you do, you might need to reach out to an elder and an elder's wife and get some help or some counseling or go see a counselor. We would go through these things about continuing to invest in your marriage. This is going to be your number one relationship if you're married, and you have to continually invest in it. 
Prioritize your marriage and then prioritize your family. If you're falling into the category of, of young families, and this would apply to anybody that's a part of a family, is that you need to prioritize, not neglect. Not to make them just kind of something extra that you do when you have your career and your hobbies and all these other things. Prioritize your family. I came across this story that I really liked earlier this week. Uh, This reporter, his name was Ron Fournier, and he covered several presidents, but he said one of his favorite presidents that he covered was George W. Bush. A couple things that he admired about George W. Bush was that, for one, he remembered his staff's family names. He didn't just know the names of his staff, he knew the names of their family, and he would ask about them. And he said that he would often remind his staff that hard work, even in the White House, is no excuse to let your family suffer. Because his priority was family first. And then Ron Fournier went on to say that one day in 1999, when Bush was still serving as governor, he had this exclusive phone interview set up with him. So he called him at the appointed time, started the interview, did the kind of initial meet and greet type stuff over the phone, And he said, I asked one question, and George W. Bush interrupted me, didn't answer the question, and he said, what is that noise in the background? And Fournier said, "Uh, I'm at the pool with my kids. And he said, then what are you doing on the phone with me? And he abruptly ended the the interview, and he said, go spend time with your family. Well, I read that, and I was inspired myself reading that about one of our nation's leaders who focused on family first, and he says, go spend time with your family. Prioritize your family. As a church, we want to nurture marriages and young families, and one of the ways that we do that, obviously, is with our children's and youth ministry. It's not necessarily that we need to go out and invent a whole bunch of new ideas and new ministries. It might be that we just press into the the ministries that we already have and support those as we try to support your family. But the same question is, how are you nurturing your own family? The challenge that I give to myself quite often that I'll share with you right now, if you really want to invest in your family, if you really want to invest in raising your children and passing down the faith, is you have to be with them and be fully present and spend quality time. So something really simple that you can do is to take your, your smartphone or your phone And just leave it in another room. Go outside and leave your phone inside. Turn it off. Stop being so distracted and spend a few hours each day with quality time with your family, with your kids. Pray with them. Do something simple each night, like just share a Bible verse with them. Invest in your relationship and invest in the faith development in your children. Invest in your marriage and in your family. And as a church, we will nurture marriages and young families, and we're just getting started. I've already mentioned God, I believe, is stirring something. He's showing us some needs, and I want to ask you to be in prayer about what this looks like moving forward. We started this five years ago. We've made some strides, but we have a long ways to go. So join with me praying about this commitment and what this will look like moving forward, and I'll say Just a couple of final concluding words before I offer this invitation. One is about that Ephesians 5 passage. So you see in that passage, 
The relationship between a husband and a wife, sacrifice, the love. And what Paul compares that to is Jesus' love for the church. Jesus' love for the body and His willingness to sacrifice for us. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning of the love that we receive from Jesus, this unconditional love that we did not deserve. Maybe you need to come to Christ, and maybe you need to be willing to give that love to others. And then I will end on where I started with my son earlier this week saying, I thought I heard the voice of Jesus. So maybe it's been a long time since you feel like your family has even come close to hearing the voice of Jesus. Or maybe that's exactly what your family needs or your marriage needs. And if we can help you cultivate or develop those ears to hear, we're going to offer for you to come up front. We're going to offer for you to go find one of our elders. But what I want to also offer for you, I know it's a holiday week, so things may, communication may be a little slow, but if you're really in the depths of struggling right now, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like your marriage is really struggling, you feel like you just keep fighting or arguing, maybe you won't come up front. And I get that. Maybe you won't find an elder today. But maybe you just send an email. I mean, you could ask me, you could look around, and maybe you just find one of our elders and find their email address and reach out to them and start that conversation from there. Maybe that is a part of how you respond to this invitation. So that's offered. It's offered for you to come up front. It's offered for you to go privately and find one of our shepherds even right now. If you need to respond to this invitation, We invite you to do that right now. Let's stand and continue to sing.